Welcome everyone, episode 14 of How Winners Win. This is Daniel Blue. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Kita Spears, aka High Key. What up? Guys, we are in for a treat when it comes to the bank's money, other people's money, leveraging credit, getting your hands on that paper to make more money. Uh, there's someone that always comes to my mind. His name is Bill Jennings. Bill, what's up, man? Yo, yo, yo. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, we're excited to get in this and just to kind of paint the picture for the audience. Bill owns a company out in the Chicago area, uh, Pathway Financial, and they do an awesome job helping entrepreneurs get their hands on more capital to start a business, to scale a business. We all know uh, as entrepreneurs, we, we need the cash flow. We need the capital to grow and hire and scale and all that kind of fun stuff. So Bill's going to be able to drop some knowledge here and, and help out a lot of you guys. Uh, I was doing some research on you, Bill, and it looks like your company has been around a long, long, long time. It's not like you're some brand new startup. It looks like you guys got into the real estate game in terms of uh, the, the, the loan space and the real estate state area. And then 2008, like everyone kind of fucked you up and fucked up everybody's situation. You pivoted and you're doing a great job now. So kind of tell us a little bit about that story and, and how you got to the point you are today. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, you kind of hit it on the head. So we started out in uh, like 2005 um, as a mortgage company and we were focusing just on subprime loans. So people that couldn't go to a bank, people that had poor credit, and uh, basically, like, because that's all that we focused on, we were making a killing because you could charge way more in fees. Um, but the problem is we were the first to go. Right. So when the when the, the crisis happened and the housing boom and everything collapsed, um, I remember literally the day that I went into the office and we were we were a broker. So basically, it wasn't our own money that we were lending. We had you know different wholesale relationships with other lenders that would close the loans for us. Right. And I remember going into the office that day and it was email after email we would get from a lender saying, sorry, but we're no longer in business. Sorry, we're no longer in business. And we had all of these files that were in with these lenders, people that were like waiting to close on their homes. Right. Oh, no. And we, it, it was one after another, like literally every couple of minutes, another one would come in and by, you know, I would say probably 10, 11 o'clock, all the lenders were gone. And we had to spend the rest of the day calling all these clients and explain to them, look, turn on the news, like everything is going to hell right now and you're not closing on your loan. So, um, you know, subprime was the first to go. So we, we were out and um, everything that I had built and all the money that I had made and everything I accumulated, uh, literally just like that, it was, it was gone. Um, so everything got very, very dark, very quick. Um, yeah, it was, it was a rough time. You know, lost, uh, lost my house shortly after, cars repossessed shortly after, um, ended up going through a divorce right around the same time. Uh, and I was back to square one. So that is essentially, that's the whole podcast guys. That's it. Good luck out there. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, that's from like, the ashes you rise, man. God, <laughs> that's, uh, that's why Keaton and I put together this podcast and, and we called it how winners win, you know, when it comes to winning in, in life and in business, one quality I see is winners take L's, right? Like we get punched in the face, knocked to the ground. We're down and out. We should be down for the count. And like he just said, you rise from the ashes. So you, you got your car repossessed, divorced, lost a lot of, of material things, and you probably lost a lot of confidence too. So kind of talk yeah. to us about, all right, you lose all of that. Like, how do you get back up on your feet and, you know, get back to where you are today? Yeah. So you, you, you were exactly right. So it was the confidence that I lost really, because it was um, you know, I didn't start out like my family growing up, like they didn't have money. Um, my, it's actually funny that I got into mortgages because my parents never owned a home. They, we always rented. So I didn't even know what a mortgage was. 
um, I was selling cars and my very first car that I sold, um, I was literally still in training and the first car that I sold, it was to a loan processor. And she was like, she was like, you should come sell mortgages because you can make way more money. And I was like, yeah, sure. I, I literally had no idea what a mortgage was. Like I had no clue. So I went, I started working for like this large mortgage company and, um, they ended up getting uh, shut down. And that's when I kind of started my own, but like, you know, I was used to not having things. Like I didn't grow up in a wealthy family. Um, I not college educated. Like I came from literally nothing. So when my friends were all going into debt, going to college, you know, I was making six figures at 19, 20 years old doing mortgages. Right. Um, so I had built all of this stuff and then, uh, I was confident because I felt or I thought I was confident. Like I felt like I figured it out. Right. I was just like young cocky kid that was making money. And I was, I wasn't saving any of it because I was trying to be cool because I had never had money before. So, I mean, I, I remember days where it would be like our, <laughs> when I was working at that first mortgage job, like our commissions, we would get a check. And obviously like right after midnight, the direct deposit would hit. And I remember sitting at like clubs with like friends of mine waiting by the ATM for like 1201 to hit. So then we could like cash out the check and like go, go ball out in the club. So like I wasted everything that I had, but I had, like you said, a lot of material things. Right. So when all of that was stripped away from me, my confidence just dropped down to nothing again. Um, and I remember like a specific day. So like I had moved out um, into like just a small crappy apartment and my son was about one, maybe two years old, no, probably like one, one and a half at that point. And um, I remember sitting there and uh, I heard uh, a tow truck in the parking lot and I knew that they were coming to take my car. Right. Um, and I wasn't going to go out there or anything. And then in my brain, I remembered, I'm like, oh no, my son's car seat is in the back seat. So now here I am running through the parking lot, holding my kid in my arm, literally chasing after the tow truck, trying to get them to give me the car seat back. And it was like in that moment, like I realized, like, I can't, I can't just sit here depressed and dwell on this. Like I need to figure something out. Right. Um, and it was kind of like the defining moment, but, uh, in that I realized like going through everything that I went through, like I understood how credit works. Um, but unfortunately right now my credit was destroyed at that moment, right? Like I didn't, my credit was terrible. I couldn't do anything with it. Um, but I understood how banks worked. I understood how they approve things. Um, and I knew that real estate was where things were going, uh, because of the fact that everybody was losing their homes. This is a huge opportunity to capitalize on buying those houses, fixing them, flipping them, you know, the whole fix and flip game. Right. Um, but I had no money. All of my friends that I knew that had money, they were all also in the mortgage you know, business. Now they're all in the same situation I am. So I had no money. I had no friends that I could access for money and I had no credit. Um, so the, the thing that I had figured out to do after uh, kind of like really, really thinking about how do I strategically try and come up with a plan to be able to get into the real estate game? Um, people have heard of OPM, right? Other people's money. Um, but what I thought I needed to focus on was OPC, other people's credit. If I could find other people that had good credit, I could get them to basically like, think of it like co-signing for a car, right? Um, I can get them to co-sign on my business and get a bunch of business credit, which when you do business credit, if you do it the right way, it doesn't report on the person's personal credit report. So the bank will look at their credit to determine, hey, you're credit worthy, but it won't show up on their credit. So it's kind of like a ghost, right? Um, so I had a, a real good friend whose dad was always willing to help me and he had great credit. So I was like, hey, can I take out you know, a bunch of credit cards in your name? on my business and he agreed to let me. So I, I got $67,000 in, in 0% credit cards that I was able to take out in, in his, you know, using his credit, but with my business. Um, and I went and I bought a house and I flipped the house and I made money. So then I did it again and I did it again. And then I was like, man, if I could have more money, have more access to credit, like, I mean, the, there's so many properties to buy at that point. I mean, it was just, it was, it was a perfect situation. So you, you guys ever see like those roadside bandit signs that say like, you know, we buy houses, like the handwritten signs, Right. The shitty so handwriting. I ordered huh? the shitty handwriting. 
Yes, which there's actually a purpose for that. And it actually, those convert very well. So I, when I got those type of signs, but I wrote on them, um, I will pay you up to $20,000 for your good credit. And I just put like an 800 number on there and it was like a recorded, like I put a recording on there um, to like get people's information, right? Man, the phone like lit up because in that moment, everybody was losing their jobs. So nobody cared about their credit. Money in their pocket was way more important to somebody than their credit score. They could have good credit, but they know that they're too like, you know, paychecks away or missed paychecks away of, of missing a mortgage payment, right? Like their savings is depleted. So people were all over it. So um, we, I got so many calls to where I freaked out because I felt like I'm like, I, I can't, I, if I keep doing this, I'm going to end up on American greed. Like that's how I felt because so many people were calling. I'm like, I could easily access millions of dollars right now. And I'm like, I don't know what'll happen. I'll be the next Bernie Madoff. Right. So, so I kind of put like a stop to it. I took like a few clients. Um, and I did the same thing. I was buying houses and flipping them. And then I started getting like friends coming up to me and they're like, guys, like, how are, how, how are you buying all these houses? And I told them what I was doing and they're like, can you help me do the same thing? So I started helping them get funding as well. And then I realized like, why am I dealing with real estate? All of the obstacles that come with it, all of the uncertainty, all of the contractor issues, I could literally just sell what I'm doing as a service. So that's when I kind of rebirthed pathway and created like, it was like, Hey, I don't need to just help real estate guys, I could help any business owner that needs access to funds. Um, so I created this little program and that's literally how it started. When was this? So this would have been 2000, uh, end of 2010. 2010. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so take us back further. So I have a question like, yeah, you've been hustling seems like fresh out the jump. You know, I, I, I can yeah. relate to the come from nothing. Like, you know, I've single, single mom, don't really have anything. I went to college, dropped out of college. So I know what it's like to, to hustle for stuff that you want, especially if you like nice things, like you said that you do. And I like nice things too. So your mom, mom can't pay for all of that stuff. You got to go out and get it on your own. What were you doing before? Like, what was the young hustler bill doing before you got into mortgages and before you got into cars? Like you, you had to be doing something, man. Yeah. Um, I was all over. So like, uh, in high school, it was all little random things. Right. So like, um, in high school, I don't know where you guys went to school, if they made you do this, but we'd have to wear like an ID, like around, like we had like a necklace with an ID you had to wear. Right. And if you didn't wear your ID, you got in trouble. Um, you'd have to go and buy like a temporary ID, which was like a sticker basically. Right. Um, and the, the attendance office sold those for $2 for those little stickers. Well, I ended up volunteering in order to skip one class every day. I could volunteer to work in the attendance office for a class period. Um, so I swiped a bunch of those stickers and I would sell them in the cafeteria in the morning for a dollar instead of two, because <laughs> now people didn't get written up and they got it for cheaper. So I would, I would just do a bunch of little hustles like that. And then, uh, and I actually got into the recording uh, industry. I had a bunch of friends that were like, you know, aspiring rappers. Um, and I realized I could charge up for studio time. So I, I created like a studio when I was in high school and I would sell studio time and stuff like that. So I was always doing anything and everything to make money, nice. flipping cars. Like by the time I was 20, I'd probably had 20 or 30 cars at that point because I would buy like old crappy cars. I'd fix them up a little bit and I'd sell them like one car. I actually bought and sold twice. I bought a car for 1700 bucks. I sold it for $3,500. The car got like destroyed in like some, it was like a gang situation and the girl was scared to drive the car. So I went and I bought it back from her for a hundred dollars and then I sold it again. So, you know, just little things like that, man. I was always hustling. Always. <laughs> so whether it's hustling, you know, dollar uh, passes or, or cars or, you know, the mortgage space and, and now the 0% space that you're in right now, helping entrepreneurs get their hands on capital. Like what, if you look at all those jobs or those, those hustles together, 
Like what's something that's a common denominator? Like what's been a part of Bill's success and, and making all of that, that work? It's looking for opportunity. Like there's, there's always opportunity. Like when there's blood in the streets, there's opportunity. And that's what like me, me and you, Daniel, we talked about this. Like when everything hit with like, like COVID, everybody was freaking out. And me and you were brainstorming because we're like, no, this is an opportunity because there's, there's so many things that are going to come from this. And it did like what happened during this, the rich got richer, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what happened. Like you, you need to look for those opportunities and they're not always crystal clear. Um, I think like a huge thing that I've, I've learned is that not everybody's brain thinks the same, right? Like the majority of people, they think about what they need to do. They don't think about why they need to do it. Right. They're always like the, the average worker is like, my job is to take this and put it here. That's what I do. They're not thinking like, why am I doing this? What piece does this actually, like, how does this play into the big picture of things? Right. And I think if you can look at the big picture of things and understand why things are happening, it's easy to find those little, like um, those little hustles that you can do to capitalize on situations. So I, I think it's, I think it's looking for opportunity. They're all around you. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple bars right there, guys. You might have to rewind what Bill just said. Cause uh, a lot of that is, is so true. A lot of fire there. What about, uh, you know, there's been times I'm sure where you've thought about, okay, you see opportunity, you, you, you want to take action. You think about the big picture, but you're like, fuck man, like what if it doesn't work? I mean, you lost confidence, right? So did you second guess yourself when you lost everything after, you know, the, the mortgage business and, and then getting into what you're doing now? Like, you know, kind of talk us through that point where you lost confidence and, and did you second guess yourself and how did you get the confidence back? A hundred percent. Um, I, I think there, there's an old story um, and I'm going to get all of this wrong because I don't remember who it was, but there was like, it was some sort of war. Okay. And, and there was the, the, the one side was completely outnumbered and they had a ship and they were, they were coming up to land and they knew that they were going to be confronted with an army that was like 10,000 times the size of them. Right. It was massive. And as everybody unloaded off of the ship, the general, the guy that was in charge, whoever he was, he shot a flaming arrow at the ship and he burnt the ship. That way they had no way to leave this land. Okay. And they did that because when you have an exit strategy, when you have a way to back out of a situation, when you're one foot in and one foot out, you always retreat when something bad comes up, right? When you get scared, you retreat. He burnt the ship. He's telling his guys, we are either going to fight or we're going to die. There's no option to go back. And they won. And maybe the whole thing's fake. I have no idea. I read it in a book, but it's an amazing story because it makes sense, right? When you're one foot in and one foot out, it doesn't work. Like you have to know that I have to be all in and I got to continue moving forward. So what I did in that situation was I went out and I took office space without having a business plan yet. I went and I negotiated. I had, I mean, it was easy to get real estate back then, but I went and I took out an office, which was basically a, a small office in, a, in an unfinished warehouse. And I negotiated six months of free rent. And I told myself mentally, if I don't figure out a business and a way to make money in this six month period, then I just pack up and go home and I get a job at Best Buy. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna have to do a normal thing then. But I gave myself the opportunity to do it and I cut off everything else. Like I'm taking the jump and I'm doing it. And I think that's what people need to do. I think so many people, like the whole side hustle thing is very popular right now, right? And I don't, I don't knock people for wanting to do a side hustle. Obviously like make more money on the side, that's great. But I think if you wanna see it turn into something, you need to cut off your main thing. It can't be a side hustle. It needs to be you all in. Like that's, that's me personally. I look at it that way. No, you bring up a good point. Every, too many people are worried about their side piece and you can, sometimes you got to make it the main. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did when you left the mortgage industry. You know, it's probably scary to get into real estate, especially diving, you know, both foot in with your buddy's dad's money. 
<laughs> on your first yeah. deal, you know, that's not, that's probably something a little bit more stressful than using, you know, the bank's money. Cause there's a relationship there that could deteriorate if you fail, you know? So yeah. how do you like, like who does that? Like what type of person is the person <laughs> that does that? You know, what make, what do you think? Like describe yourself. Um, I, I think it's like, it's not for everybody. There are a lot of people, if everybody was an entrepreneur, the world wouldn't work, right? Like we need, we need the workers out there. We need the, the average people that just want their, their, they're happy being average and they're happy doing what they're doing. Um, my mom still to this day panics every time I tell her anything that I'm doing because my mom is a very safe person, right? Like she doesn't want to do anything crazy. She, she always says that she feels like she lives under a rock. She doesn't want to know about the crazy things in the world. She just wants to go about her day. And that's great. It works for her. She doesn't, she doesn't have the personality to do something like I do. She doesn't take those risks. So I think it does take a, a unique type of person. Um, I, I think if you look at the common denominator amongst like super successful people, whether it's in sports or business or whatever, um, they all usually have something a little wrong up top. <laughs> if, if you watch like the last dance, uh, the documentary about Michael Jordan, right? Yep. Um, so Tim Grover, if you've never met him or watched him speak, the guy's amazing, but he was Michael Jordan's coach and trainer as well as Kobe Bryant's and all those guys. And he talks about in his book, this thing called, um, he talks about like called your dark side. And he's like, everybody has a dark side and you need to find out and figure out how to exploit that dark side. And most people, when they know they have a dark side, they go to a therapist and they try getting rid of it. And he talks about like, no, you need to like lean into it and leverage it. And that's literally, if you watch the last dance, that's what Michael Jordan does. Like when he became the best in the world, what, what does he have to strive for? Like he's already the best. So he would, in his imagination, make up things that he has a chip on his shoulder. Like he would, he would get mad. There was a situation where he was at a restaurant and he got mad that somebody that he was going to play like in an upcoming game and didn't come over and say hello to him at his table. Like that's a reason to get upset. Like he took that so personally though, that he had to go out and crush that guy on the court. Like he would literally make up things to push him to move forward. And I feel like that seems to be like something that's consistent with the super successful people. There's something that drives them. And it's usually something like they were bullied as a kid. They didn't feel like they were worth it as a kid. Their ex-wife told them that they were useless. Like it was something that told them they weren't good enough and they constantly have to strive and push on that to continue moving forward. And you'll see with some people, I mean, this happens to me. Like if I become too comfortable, like I'm, I'm, I do the best when my back's against the wall. Like when I feel like I'm about to lose everything, that's when I perform the highest. When I become too comfortable, I get stagnant and I get bored. And a lot of times I self-sabotage. I like find a reason to cause a problem because I'm bored mm -hmm. and then it makes me push forward. So I think it's figuring out what that is and trying to harness that. I think that's what kind of pushes you past that point of like retreating when you get nervous, you know? Definitely. And I've, now you just brought up another question in my head. Can you say that your, your mom's personality is more so um, a little bit different from yours? Uh, who is your mentors? Like who kind of was able to make sure that you stayed on this pathway to the bill that we're seeing on the screen today? Like who did you lean on? What type of mentorship were you getting? Um, I never like right now I'm in like, you know, the majority of the funding that we do for people is for like high ticket coaching programs. So it's for like, you know, people selling mentorships. Right. Um, so right now, like that term to me right now is very commonly understood. And I talk about it every day. But back when I was even 25 years old, I had no I like I didn't know what a mentor was like there. I wasn't in that space whatsoever. Um, so I would have never if you asked me at that time, I would have said nobody. Um, but looking back now, I had so many little mentors here and there. Um, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like a relationship of like a mentor mentee relationship. It was just, I was a sponge. 
Um, and I think that's a big thing too, is like, you need to constantly be absorbing what's happening around you. And I would just pick up on little things. So like my, my first manager, when I was, um, you know, in the mortgage, was actually pushing it back further. When, when I was doing like the recording studio stuff I'd mentioned earlier, um, the guy that I was doing it with, he was this big time local drug dealer and he had like a record label and it was literally like, he was just basically taking like people that were selling drugs for him and having them also wrap so he could sell CDs and kind of justify his income. Like it was, it was, he was doing terrible things, but in the moment I just thought he was this cool guy with a bunch of nice cars mm -hmm. and he would do anything to protect me back then. And he would always try and like feed good to, into me. I'd hear him talk so badly to everybody else and tell them to do bad things. And anytime I would even attempt to go on that path, he would correct me. Mm. Like it was, it was weird, the relationship there, but like I looked at him as he was probably the first business person that I was ever around. And granted, it was a terrible business that he was in and he wasn't a good person, but I learned entrepreneurial things from him and I didn't realize it. Right. And then, you know, my first manager, when I was doing mortgages, like he taught me a lot about sales, um, just cause he was really good at sales and I would listen to everything he said. And, um, it, I was just good at like repeating things. Like I would be on the phone with somebody and he'd be talking to me in the background, telling me what to say. And I'm just repeating it. And then I would just realize, Oh, wow, that works. So I'm going to do it next time. So, um, along the way I had all these little mentors. Um, it, it ironically, all of them ended up being probably not the best people. So there was the drug dealer. And then, um, a guy I got into business with when I first started pathway, um, he ended up and is still currently in prison for securities fraud. Um, but he was a super successful guy in, in the stock business. And, um, there was, you know, so little, it was like a, not an insider trading type thing, but a white collar crime similar to that. Um, but genius when it comes to numbers and genius when it comes to leadership and, and, and training sales guys and stuff like that. So I learned a ton from him. Um, it's always been random people like that, that, uh, if I just tell you on the surface, their title and mm -hmm. their current place in life, you'd be like, well, that's a terrible person to have as a mentor. Um, but no, like I knew what I, I was a sponge and I knew what to pick up from them and I saw what the bad things were. So not only did I learn what to do, I learned what to avoid. Um, so I, I think that sometimes the most polished person that tells you that they're the mentor maybe probably isn't the best person, right? Like I, I think it comes from the people that you don't even realize you're being mentored by. Yeah. You get, it's better to learn from someone who's got some scars than, you know, a shiny white suit. For sure. And, and, and you see their, their credibility, right? They're not telling you that they're credible. They're not telling you they're credible and trying to offer you something like, Hey, I'm, I'm this great person. Let me sell you something like learn from me. It's they're not attempting to mentor me. I'm just listening and I'm surrounding myself with them. And I think proximity is the biggest thing. Like, who are you surrounding yourself with? Like I, I had a guy recently, he actually works at the barbershop that I go to and he messaged me cause I was out in a, I was out at Grant Cardone's office uh, over the past weekend and I had shown, I put some pictures on my Instagram of like some like randomly famous people. And uh, he was like, man, he's like, you got to show me how to get involved with like, you know, people like this. Like, how, how do I meet them? And I'm like, dude, like go where they go. Like it's simple as that. Like go where they go. Like they're probably not where you're hanging out. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Like you got to get in proximity with things. Right. And being around those people, even if you're just there to listen. So I think, you know, mentors are great but they're probably not who you think they are. Like literally just anybody can be mentoring you. Like you guys can be mentoring me right now while I'm listening to you and vice versa. You know what I mean? So again, that's just being open to opportunity. Like you said earlier. For sure. Yeah. I, I liked how you talked about, we find certain things from certain people where it's like, man, that's, that's great. Like, I love how I did that. I mean, replicate that. But then when you're around people that have been, you know, in the game a long time, they have that wisdom, that experience, and then they pass it on to you. And then you start to see like, okay, he's actually doing things wrong that 
I don't agree with that. So I'm going to make sure a mental note to not do this in the future. Right. That's, that's huge. Uh, being able to pick that apart. Um, what about things not to do when it comes to, to funding financing, right? Like so many entrepreneurs are looking for money, especially these days, post COVID, um, like when you and your team are, are working with people, like what are some of the things where you just, you know, SMH shaking my head. You're like, fuck dude, why'd you do this? Like, what are, what are the, some of the self-inflicting things that people do that hurt their chances at, at getting funding, getting financing? Yeah. Um, I think the, the biggest thing when it comes to business credit is everybody makes the mistake at the beginning of financing their business with their personal credit. Um, because they, they assume that they can't get business credit yet because their business just started real or quick, they're real, not really a business yet. Real quick, separate business credit versus personal credit for the audience. What's the difference? Yeah. So personal credit is, you know, you just using like, you know, your personal credit, right? Like your credit cards, your, you, you took out a capital one credit card in your name, you know, for you, for your personal expenses. Um, and that's your personal credit. Uh, business credit is an entirely different thing. Um, business credit is just like you've got your social security number, which is your identifier, right? Like literally we're not really people, we're just numbers. That's your item number, right? Like that's you. Um, so your, your personal credit is built off your social security number. When you create a business, whether it's an LLC or a corporation or, or however you structure it, it's not you, it's its own entity, right? It's an entirely different being. And that comes with a tax ID number, which is essentially the social security number for the business. Okay. So you can technically separate your credit by building credit under the business itself. And it does not affect you personally because it doesn't show up on your personal credit because it's not attached to your social security number. It's attached to the tax ID number, the social security number of the business. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, the way that you can do that is, is a lot of people, they assume because they'll see something online or somebody will say that you've got to be in business for a few years and be making money in order to get business credit. And it's simply not true. Um, if you've got good personal credit, like I did with my, my buddy's dad, I took a blank business that was brand new. I took his credit report and I went to the bank and said, Hey, I've got this guy with great credit. He's trustworthy he is co-signing for this business. Now give this business money yeah. and they'll give the business money. They'll underwrite off of his credit saying this guy's credit is good. He's an owner of the company. He's an officer of the company. His credit is good. So we're going to extend funding to this business. So that's the way that you want to do it because now you're separating your business and your personally and you personally. And the reason why you want to be doing that is the number one pre reason why people end up um, with bad credit, it, it isn't so much that they're missing payments. People, people will come to me and they'll say, Bill, I make all of my payments on time, but I still can't get approved for things. And the reason for that is you, you making your payments on time, your payment history is only 40% of your credit score. Okay. So uh, imagine somebody saying like, Hey, you know, I, I play football. I get to the 40 yard line every single time, but I'm not winning any games. Like, well, you, you got to get to the end zone, bro. Like it's not the 40 yard line. It's the same thing. People focus on making their payments on time. It's only 40% of your credit score is your payment history. Another large portion of it is what's called your debt utilization. How much of your credit cards you're using. If you max out your credit cards, your score drastically drops. So what happens to a, biz a person starting a business is they finance their business with their personal credit cards. They go on, they put all their personal, their business expenses on those credit cards. Those credit card balances go super high and their credit score drops 100, 150 points. Mm. And then they go try and apply for business credit because they need more money. And the bank says you're declined. 
because your credit's bad because you've maxed out all of your personal credit cards. So if you do the flip and you get, you start establishing credit in the business's name only, you can max out all of those business credit cards. And if you do it the right way, they don't show up on your personal credit report. So your score stays intact. So six months down the road, a year down the road, you need more access to capital or you, you meet a, a nice girl or a guy and you get married and you want to buy a house. You don't have to have that uncomfortable conversation of, hey, my credit sucks because I financed my half failing business with my personal credit. Like you're, you're able to start that relationship off well because your personal credit is still good and your business credit is something different. So I think that's the number one mistake I see people do because they, they're, they're not quite educated enough in it to know that you can do that. Um, so they, they finance everything personally and it, it causes problems for them down the road. So someone that wants to is listening to you right now and they're like, okay, I don't want to make that mistake. I don't have business credit right now. Like how do I get business credit? Like what are the qualifications to get business credit? Um, so you, you need to have good personal credit still. So in order to get approved for business credit, um, you know, you're, you're looking for probably a credit score over 700. Um, you want to make sure that before you apply for anything that your credit cards, all of your existing credit cards, you want to make sure they're all paid below 40% of the credit limit on each individual card. Okay. Make sure at least below 40%. If they're above that and it's a, it's a percentage thing. It's, it's, you got to remember that banks aren't you, it, the, the days of you going in and talking to Betty Sue behind the counter and explain to her that you're a great person and you know, you should trust my business. She, she's that's gone. She's, there's no personal bankers anymore that are making decisions. It's a computer, right? There's an algorithm in the computer that accepts the clients. So percentages are very important. When I say it needs to be below 40%, it, it can't be at 40.3%. It will get declined. Like you need, it's a computer. It needs to be below 40. 40% of all of the credit card debt and the limits combined, or is it 40% for every single card? Like if every I'm, single card individually. Okay. So if someone has a, a $10,000 limit on their discover, their balance needs to be under $4,000. And then if they have a limit of $5,000 on a capital one, they got to make sure that specific card is under 40% as well. Correct. Yeah. So each individual card should be below 40%. Is so, there, is there a, like the day of the month? Does it matter when you make that payment? Like how, how does that work, Bill? Yeah, completely. So um, that's another common misconception. People think that when your credit is pulled, that it's like a snapshot of what's happening at that moment on your credit. And that's really not how it works. So um, think of it this way. So when you get at the end of the month, uh, a bank will use Capital One as an example they'll send you a statement for your credit card, right? At the end of the month, they'll send you a statement saying, hey, your balance is $2,300, right? When they send that statement to you, they're sending something similar to that statement also to the credit bureaus on that same day. They're saying, hey, this is the updated balance on this, this person's credit or on this person's credit card, okay? So every month when your statement closes and you get a statement, the credit bureaus also get a statement with your current balance. So that balance is going to show on the credit report for the next 30 days, until your next statement comes out. So you need to make sure that if, you, if you're trying to pay your cards down, you need to make sure that the payment is made before the statement goes out. Otherwise you have to wait until the following month for it to report. So, so it only reports once a month. So how do they find out that out? They just call the American Express credit card and just say, hey, American Express, when do you guys report my debt to the credit bureaus or? Um, I would never leave anything to calling the, the banks because usually when they answer the phone, you're talking to a moron that knows nothing about nothing. So, so what you, you want to figure it out on your own. So here's a better way to do it. So if you look, if you have any type of credit monitoring, um, if, if you go to your, if you look at your accounts on your credit monitoring, 
there's going to be a, uh, one of the lines that says um, reported date or date reported. And that's the date right there is the date that everything is being reported for each individual account. So if on your Capital One card, it says the last time your balance was reported was on, you know, whatever, April 19th, then it means that the 19th of the month is when your balance reports for that specific card. And every date is going to be different, right? Every, yeah, everybody's different. It's, it's typically within a couple of days of your due date. So whatever your due date is, it's usually right around there. Okay. That's, uh, that's, that's good to know. So yeah. people wanting to check their, their credit scores, right? Like, you know, I know discover, I've got a credit card with them and you know, they give me a, a credit score, chase, gives um, me chase, right? Like we know credit karma is bullshit. We're not experts in the credit <laughs> arena, but we, we know, that. we know enough about that. We know the winners out there listening. If you guys are using credit karma, like y'all, you guys aren't winners, like change that shit up. So Bill, <laughs> where should people be checking their credit scores? Yeah, so there's a ton of different credit monitoring services that you can use. Um, Like you said, like your bank probably has one. If you've got a Chase credit card, Discover credit card, they have their own version. Um, If you simply just want to every once in a while see if your score is moving, those are perfectly fine. Um, But they don't give you a full picture of your credit report. It's going to give you one score typically, and it's going to show you kind of like a general summary of what your credit report is. It doesn't usually show you everything. Um, so if you want to actually see all three credit bureaus and actually see your full scores, um, there's a bunch of different options. And we have our own. So, I mean, I'm going to be partial. If you go to viewmyscores.com, you can do our credit monitoring. Um, it's a dollar for seven days for a trial. And then it's like $30 a month recurring, which is pretty much the same as every credit monitoring service out there, um, minus Credit Karma, which there, there's reasons for that, like you said. Um, so yeah, I mean, any credit monitoring is good. I would suggest using one that shows you all three bureaus though. The big thing though, is to remember and understand that the credit scores that you see when you do a credit monitoring service, whether it's credit karma, if it's ours, if it's chase journey, if it's discover, if it's any of those, those are not true credit scores. It's anytime it can, you get a consumer credit report, which is what those are. If it's you viewing your credit, there's a trade-off one you can view your credit as often as you want and there won't be an inquiry put on your credit report. So it won't hurt you to look at your credit if you're using a consumer credit monitoring service. Um, The bad side is it's just the scores are like a closely modeled version of a credit score. It's an entirely different formula that calculates the score. So from my credit monitoring service to myfico.com or from discover, the scores could be drastically different. So people will panic when they see like, they'll they'll see our scores and then they'll see a different score. And they're like, oh my gosh, my score dropped 30 points. It didn't, it's a different scoring model, okay? The important thing is not the score when you're looking at your report. The important thing is the data. Does anything look out of order here? Are there accounts that I'm looking at that I've never seen before? Does it show that I'm late on something or there's a collection on something that I know I wasn't? Like that's really the important part. The scores are gonna be generally in the same range, um, but that's really not the important part. It's the meat and potatoes is really what's important and making sure that you're seeing all three credit bureaus, you know, um, credit karma only shows you two credit bureaus. So you're missing out on an entire credit bureau. So some people might be looking at credit karma and saying, Oh, it says I've got great credit. It's offering me all these things and they apply and they get declined. And it's because the lenders that they're applying at are looking at the third credit bureau Experian that they've never seen. And maybe there's something bad on there. Mm. Um, so each, each bureau operates independently. So you need to really monitor and watch all of them carefully. So what about like, um, I saw that on your website that you guys have removed derogatory marks. Like, what does that mean to the, you know, uneducated person? Like what does removing derogatory marks mean and, and how, why, or how would that come about? 
Yeah. So um, the nice thing with credit is uh, just like just like it can go down when you do something bad, you can technically fix it and have your scores go back up. Um, anytime you've done anything wrong on your credit, so let's say you've made a payment late. Um, and when I say late, I mean, uh, like, you know, if your due date's on the first and you pay it on the fifth, you know, the bank might charge you a late fee, but you're not technically late. Um, things won't show up on your credit report until you're a full 30 days behind on something. Okay. So if you've got late payments on your credit report more than 30 days behind, or if you've just totally not paid something and it became a collection account, um, any type of negative item like that, that's on your credit report technically can come off if you know what you're doing. Um, and there's two ways to look at this. There's a lot of, I don't, I don't like the credit repair business. I don't say that we do credit repair just because credit repair is a very negative connotation with it because there's a lot of people who do very fraudulent things out there with credit repair um, or they just steal money from people and say they're going to do something and they don't. So there's, it's a very shady industry. Um, but there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. Um, when you're trying to dispute or challenge something negative on your credit, uh, a lot of credit repair companies will just basically tell you to lie and say that you weren't late or I don't know what that debt is, or my identity was stolen. Um, because there's easy ways to get things removed if your identity was stolen. There's things to protect the consumer if your identity was stolen. Um, but you're committing a federal offense by lying and doing it that way, okay? But this is what a lot of credit repair companies will tell you to do. The way that we do it and the correct way to do it is you don't challenge that you didn't do it. Like, like if, if you were actually late, don't say I wasn't late because you were. Like, you know you were late, so don't lie about it. Um, there's instead, there's this thing called the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which is the governing rule book over how thing ha things have to report on your credit report. There are so many rules in there that nobody follows that you just have to find these little things that the creditor did wrong. And if you can prove that they didn't do something the proper way, by law, that negative item has to come off the credit report. Um, so I'll give you a, an easy example. Uh, if anybody who's listening has ever had a collection put on their credit report, Think long and hard about the time that the mailman came and knocked on your door and handed you a certified letter that you had to sign for. And when you opened it, that letter said that they were informing you that something negative was being put on your credit report. I guarantee you that nobody listening right now is going to say that they've ever received that letter. But by law, they have to. But creditors know that it costs like four bucks to send certified signature mail versus the, you know, 20 something cent bulk rate that they get by just sending regular mail out. So, $4 might not seem like a lot of money, but to somebody like Chase, who sends out a million of them a month, it affects their bottom line. So they don't do it. So since they're not doing that, a simple thing that you challenge is you just say, hey, I noticed this thing on my credit report. I don't remember receiving anything in mail and informing me that I was going to be having this put on my credit report. Can you please produce evidence of that, of my signature? They can't produce it. Cool. It's got to come off. Like there's little rules like that where you can ethically and like still sleep at night, challenge things on your credit report and have them legally removed. Um, another beautiful one is medical debt. Um, med like uh, if you've got medical collections on your credit report, which is probably the number one thing that hurts people's credit because it's confusing when you do with medical stuff. If you end up at the hospital for something, you get your bill from the doctor and then the hospital also charges you. I swear you pay for the same thing like three times from three different people and you have no idea why, right? And half the time you think insurance is covering it and then you, so you don't pay the bill. And next thing you know, you've got a $20 thing on your credit report and it's hurting your credit. Um, so with the medical debt, the hospital or the doctor is never going to be the person that reports to your credit report. They're never going to be the person trying to collect from you. They sell it to a third party collection agency and they're the ones that are bothering you. Okay. 
So if you ever get one of those from a medical collection place, you just send them a letter simply saying, hey, I saw this on my credit report. I don't remember the services that I got that day at the doctor. Can you please send me a detailed breakdown of what happened? If they send you this letter, there's a HIPAA violation lawsuit because the doctor's office cannot send medical information to the collection agency. It's a violation of the, the Health Information Protection Act. Mm. So they can't do that. And HIPAA violations are extremely, extremely, like people are scared to death of HIPAA violations. So if they happen to send that to you, you just threaten them with a lawsuit and say, look, but I'll settle with this coming off of my credit report. And they'll, they'll instantly delete it. But more, more, than, uh, not, uh, more often than not, they're not going to be able to send that to you because nobody broke HIPAA laws and they're not actually going to have that proof. So if they don't have that proof, same thing. You have no proof that this is supposed to be on my credit report. It needs to come off. So mm. medical stuff is very easy to get off the credit report. So I know I'm making it sound like it's simple just to send these things. But if you if you know what you're doing and you know how to attack each of those items, it's relatively simple to get things removed off of your credit report. So if you've got credit right now that isn't the greatest, it's not the end of the world. It can be fixed. There's a reason why you've done over 20,000 removals of derogatory marks. <laughs> we, 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 know, we know what we're doing. Jeez, those, are, those are some. I think they got a lot of a lot of good. Gems oh, for, from that. for sure. I mean. Number one, just be a good citizen and pay your bills on time, right? That's <laughs> keep, always keep, the goal, you know? Keep your utilization rates down. If you were in a jam and you've got some late payments, some derogatory marks, I mean, obviously you, you kind of gave the playbook. They could do it on their own, but winners uh, focus on what they're good at and, and they're going to hire someone like you to handle, you know, the the credit side so they can focus on, on making money. So if they can do all these things, right, get their utilization rates under 40%, get some of these derogatory remarks uh, moved, then their credit score goes up, right? And then now they have a better looking credit score. Like what's the average dollar amount that you help people get funding for? Like what's that average number? Zero percent. So the average right now is a little bit over 70,000 um, at zero percent interest for up to two years. Um, I mean, there are people that were getting, you know, one hundred twenty, one hundred fifty thousand dollars for people um, right now with this whole like, you know, post COVID situation. Um, banks are still a little scared to lend money to businesses um, and the banks are a little undercapitalized because any of the banks that that participated in like the PPP program, um, they had to front the money when they went. If, if you went to Chase to apply for the PPP loan, Chase had to actually give you your loan and wait for the government to pay them back. Okay. So they had to literally part with their money. Um, So at the same time, they're parting with billions of dollars. Each bank had to guarantee at least $10 billion that they would loan out. So if you loaned out $10 billion and businesses aren't putting money into the bank anymore, they're short in reserves to lend out to businesses. So on the business side, the banks are lending a lot less than they were before. So that's why our average is a little bit lower than it used to be. Um, But we're still consistently seeing numbers in that, you know, 60, 70, $80,000 range for for people looking for business funding. And again, it's at 0% and it's uh, it's unsecured. So you can use it for anything. So real quick, like what's a, you know, there's probably plenty of winners right now that are listening that have an idea in their head of I'm become a business owner. Maybe they have the idea of selling on Amazon or, flipping houses like you or whatever it may be now that yeah. they've, they've got the play from you they go run the play they get their credit score up what is required for them to secure business credit do they need to have a business plan do they have to have an ein number in place already do they have to have employees like what does that look like for someone who's trying to work with you yeah so you want to have an entity set up 
So you want to have an LLC or a corporation set up. Um, it doesn't have to, we don't require like any seasoning. So it doesn't need to be open for two years or anything like that. Um, a lot of people that come to us and, and you, you kind of mentioned like, you know, the Walmart automation or the Amazon and stuff like that. We deal with a lot of people that do that kind of stuff. And they'll come to us because they learned about it through a coach or something. And they'll come to us and want to get funding, but they, they just, they're just getting started. So they don't have a company formed yet. Mm -hmm. um, we can actually form it for them. And then we can start funding with them on the exact same day. So it isn't like this big, long, complicated process. Um, a lot of people hold off on starting a, an LLC or a corporation because it seems daunting because they don't know anything about it and they don't know where to go or they'll go to something that's going to overcharge them. For the purpose of getting the funding, it doesn't need to be anything complicated. You, you just need a basic LLC and you need to just apply for a tax ID number, which you can do right on the IRS's website. It takes literally 30 seconds. Um, and as soon as you have that mixed with your, you know, good credit, personal credit, you're, you're able to apply for, for funding at that point. So you don't need to have employees. You don't need to have tax returns. Um, that's really what's nice about doing it the way that we do it, which is uh, what we refer to as like credit card stacking. So when somebody comes to us, if we're getting them $100,000 worth of funding for their business, they're not getting one line of credit for $100,000. They're probably getting one for $40,000, one for $30,000. You know, they're, they're getting multiple credit lines at a little bit lower dollar amounts. And the reason for that is banks are willing to give out up to a certain amount of money without anything more than a signature. Yeah. Um, they're not asking for tax returns or a business plan or anything complicated. If you walked into a bank and asked for at that specific bank, hundreds of thousands of dollars from that one bank, they're going to, they're going to say, okay, we want to see financial for the past two years. We want to see what you're doing with the money. We want to do a site survey. They want to see all that stuff. But if you keep it under certain thresholds and you stack it with multiple banks at the same time, it kind of becomes the old uh, magic trick where you've got the ball and you've got the cups and you're moving them all around and you, know, you, don't, you don't know where the ball's at anymore, right? It's the same trick that we're playing with the banks. The banks don't know that each, every other bank is also lending to the person. Mm. There's, nothing, there's nothing wrong about doing it that way, but you're kind of just, you're hiding it in a sense to where you can leverage the banks against each other and get the maximum amount of money. Sounds perfect. I mean, I've actually, that play of leveraging the banks and that certain criteria, I think it's two weeks before it starts showing up on your report where you can kind of shop around right. and get as many cards. They're doing that in the rental car space right now where people are going and getting pre-approval letters and getting two, three, four, five cars at once in a two week period. So kind of, a, kind of a similar play where that, that first two weeks where you don't have that show up on your credit report. So anyone basically, so what about like the gig economy workers, contract workers who maybe don't think of themselves as a business owner, but they get 1099 yeah. income and they're not full W2. Did that someone that could work with you? Yeah. I still suggest that for them to do it, that they still try and separate their business and personal. Um, they don't have to, I mean, we can, we can still help people that are just looking for personal credit as well. I just think it puts you at a disadvantage. If you yeah. can get approved for business credit, you should. And all it takes is setting up an LLC, which I mean, if we do it for you, it's literally done in five minutes. So it's not, it isn't some complicated thing. There should be no reason why you would ever want to put things on your personal credit if you don't have to. So whether you're a gig worker, whether, whether you literally just work at Walmart and you get a W-2 and you have no aspirations of starting an actual business, if you're going to get a lot of funding for a purpose of whatever it is, I still suggest getting it in the name of a business because it shields your personal credit. Mm. Yeah. I mean, how many people right now would love to refinance their house and, and take advantage of the low interest rates, but maybe they can't because they have too much personal debt on their personal credit and, and they you know wish they would have had it over on business cards instead. 
Completely. And then the only issue that they run into in those situations is a lot of times they don't have the money to pay down those credit cards. Mm -hmm. But I know like, you know, we've worked with you in situations like that. You guys have solutions to be able to do that with the retirement too. Right. So it kind of like, it's like a double, yeah. I don't know how you do it. You're just magicians with that, um, but it, I guess it works. We're wizards just like you are, bro. Yeah. So, I mean, we're going to go ahead and plug <laughs> ourselves in. I mean, people that have a 401k with an old job or an IRA, the drawback with those accounts is you can't access that money penalty and tax-free the way that money is structured uh, currently. But if you are an entrepreneur, you can actually tap into those dollars penalty and tax-free with our help. And then they can use those funds to pay down high interest rate credit card debt, bring down their utilization rates, get the credit score increased, and then walk in like a boss and, and talk to someone like Bill and his team. And then they can help you get some 0% funding on the business credit side. Boom. There you go. See? Perfect. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. For sure. Well, uh, man, you, you've dropped a lot of, lot of value, man. I, I really appreciate the two examples that you gave in terms of the medical debt um, that certified letter. I, I didn't know about that certified letter. Um, so, I mean, you really did pull back the curtain and, and you know, drop, brought, drop a, a lot of insight. So I appreciate that, Bill. Let's, uh, for the people that are actually watching this right now, looks like Bill is like in Colorado in a cabin and he has like this beautiful <laughs> backdrop, like in the Rockies It's is really, you'd have to see it to witness. Picturesque. It is, it, it is. Um, and then he has a picture behind him of this badass <laughs> with a mustache. And, uh, can you tell the audience who, who you have, uh, the portrait and, and who he is and what he's about i just paint on the side and that's my uncle <laughs> <laughs> wow you're so that multi-talented bro <laughs> i know thank you no so that is um nikola tesla and it's actually a super cool painting because it's um it's pointillism so you probably can't see from there but if you get up close to it it's just a series of dots that creates the entire picture and the the artist that paints it he does it all with a syringe so he takes a syringe and literally it's just dots with a syringe and it creates that amazing picture. So wow. I, I, I love it. And I would always see it at this, uh, this, this studio. And then I eventually pulled the trigger and bought it. Um, yeah, so it's Nikola Tesla, who's uh, probably one of my favorite people in history. So, um, yeah, that's he's my man badass. right there. Yeah. If you, if you guys don't know who Nikola Tesla is, he's a inventor of a lot of things that we use today. And a lot of his inventions were also stolen. Um, and yeah, <laughs> there, see, he knows. Yeah. He knows. Bill had to educate the CIA me. stole all this stuff. All right. So the, the audience ignorant like me and didn't know who he was. Bill, who, enlighten us. What do you know? So, so, oh, he said enlighten us because he created electricity, hey. which gave us light. You see? There you go. Um, yeah. So he, he was actually the person who first created electricity. Um, Thomas Edison gets most of the credit for all of it. But um, so he actually worked for Edison at one point, too. But he created a bunch of crazy uh, inventions like the remote control. I think like the fax machine, like he just created like a bunch of things that we use today. Um, and then he was working on this thing called the, uh, the Tesla Tower which was literally like a, a big tower. Think of like a cell phone tower, right? And this was in like the 20s and 30s that we're talking about. This was a long time ago. And at that point, he was creating with these towers, um, a, what his goal was to create a network of towers that could wirelessly transmit signals to one another. He created Wi-Fi in like the 1930s, okay? And everybody thought he was crazy because he kept getting like the signals were working and he was getting responses and he thought that he was communicating with Mars. So the, the, the media 
the fake news. Um, they ran with it and they, they started telling everybody that he was crazy. So he was getting most of his funding brought by, from JP Morgan, the guy who's now owns Chase or JP Morgan Chase, right? So uh, JP Morgan was funding him and he got a bunch of backlash because he's funding a crazy person and um, they pulled all the funding. So uh, the guy died completely broke. Um, he never lived in a house. He lived in a hotel room. And uh, the guy was, he was just like a mad scientist. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, if you, if you think about like a mad scientist, that was this guy, he had zero business sense. He had zero ability to like market or do anything. He just knew how to build things. And he died completely broke. He, um, he got a little senile in his old age, or maybe he was always senile. And uh, he would go to this park every single day in, in, in New York city. Right. And he would sit there and the pigeons would come over and he would feed the pigeons. Well, there was a specific pigeon that would come every single day and he actually fell in love with the pigeon and had a romantic relationship with the pigeon. Okay. Um, so one day the pigeon didn't come back and he assumed the pigeon died. And literally the next day he died in his hotel room because he had nothing to live for anymore. Damn. He was just flashing his, his pecker <laughs> at the pigeon every day. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yes. Holy so, yeah. So, but what, what's crazy though, is like, you, you're right. So like the, it was like the CIA or the FBI or somebody came and like raided his hotel room and he had like, um, all of these like wooden cases and boxes and stuff of all of like these inventions, like just like books and books of inventions and plans and all that stuff. They stole everything out of there. And like a lot of his inventions, like things that we use today, like they were his inventions and like, I don't, it's crazy. Weather the whole thing, if you look into it, it's a crazy, crazy conspiracy, like crazy. Weather wow. manipulation, creating lightning on its own. Yes. I mean, this, it gets, this, it gets deep. If you want to go down that rabbit hole, it's, it's a fun one to go down. I mean, this, it's crazy. This guy sounds like Elon Musk before Elon Musk. Literally. I mean, the OG. I think Elon Musk is like a reincarnated version of him because uh, like the things that he creates, right? So like the electric car, like electricity, right? Obviously common thing, named it after him. Um, and then like his whole thing was being able to communicate with Mars. What is Elon Musk doing? Trying, Trying to, to colonize Mars. Mars. Yeah. Um, same thing with like the solar like panels. Like everything Elon Musk is involved in is modeled after things of, of, of Tesla. You so know, it, Elon has crazy. A, a portrait a couple portraits of, of homeboy right Guarantee. there. Yeah. <laughs> he probably does. He for probably sure. does. For sure. What's, uh, what's next for you, Bill? Like you've done a great job of just kind of, you know, storytelling and helping us see, you know, where you've come from and some of the things you overcame and, and you're doing some really big things now. Um, just looking ahead, we're at an interesting time, right? 2021, we've got, you know, this crazy bull run, you know, money printing out left and right. We got inflation that's popping up right now. Like what, what, as of today. Yeah. Like what, what are some of your goals, you know, moving forward? Uh, I'm just trying to get some gas right now because everybody's out of gas somewhere in the country. So I'm just trying to get some gas, dude. Um, no. So like my, my thing is uh, like early on in my career, when I was doing like the subprime mortgages, the one thing that I learned was uh, a client that you create. Okay. So, and when I say this, the first company I worked for was literally, literally like creating fake documents for clients. Like this is how they would get loans done. That's how they got shut. They were the largest mortgage company in the country, AmeriQuest. Um, they wow. were, they were the largest, they got in trouble because they were like literally faking W2s and making fake things. Okay. What I learned in the wrong way was that by creating, literally creating your clients, you're able to give more value to them and because they're appreciative for it. Cause they know they can't get approved anywhere else. Right. And you can actually charge them more right in, in a fraudulent way for that situation. But I learned from that, that 
it, it's true. If you can create a client and by create, I don't mean fabricate. I mean, take somebody who was not able to get something. For example, somebody who's been declined for every credit card, for every loan they've ever gotten because they have terrible credit and they've always wanted to start a business, but they have no access to money because they don't have rich friends and they have no access to actually leverage banks money because they have bad credit, right? If I can help them fix their credit, I now create my dream client because that person is going to be, they feel like they, they, they're almost in debt to me, right? Like I have to work with this guy here or he provided these results for me. He took me from what I was and he's actually able to help me move forward. That client is going to be a client for life. They're always going to work with me. They're not going to price shop me. I'm not going to have to deal with all that nonsense that you deal with, with the average, you know, person who's clicking on your Facebook ads, right? So, so using that and looking at it the right way, like I want to focus more on helping the people who aren't able to get approved for things right now and helping people that have a dream, but they don't know how to move forward with it and help take that person and cultivate them to get them to a position to where they can succeed and get access to the funding that they're looking for. So that's, that's kind of the angle that I want to take a little bit more than just going through the motions of funding people that are readily available, um, that can go somewhere else and get funding. You know what I mean? Like I want to, I want to work on people that I could actually make a difference for them. It's major. You made a difference uh, in a lot of people's lives today. I'm, I'm taking a lot of the nuggets you did, you gave today, and running with them, bro. Yeah, you, uh, you're glad to hear. You're a real one for sure, Bill. The uh, the show notes, guys. Make sure uh, when you guys are listening to this, watching this, uh, Roland is going to put the show notes in there in the sense of the credit monitoring service that uh, Bill mentioned. Um, Bill's company Pathway, so you guys can hit him up. Uh, Bill also is a great follow on social media, so make sure to slide up in his DMs. He's got some funny stories. He drops some good knowledge as well. Where, uh, where should people follow you more? Are you more of like a, an IG hoe? Are you more like Facebook? Like what's I'm on both. I'm trying to be more on IG because like, I guess that's what people do these days, but I'm old and like, I'm just on Facebook with like the pictures where it's like angled up, like the old man. That's me. <laughs> right. That's what I do. Um, but e- either place at Bill Jennings, go follow me. I would, uh, I would, I would love to connect with you. Yeah, uh, Bill's got some uh, some really good stuff, good content that he puts out on his, his social media for sure. He's a great follow on Facebook. So, you know, some, I'm like you, Bill. I'm, I'm a boomer at heart. I get the Wall Street Journal delivered to my house every day. I like to actually <laughs> read the paper, not go online. I got a big ass phone, so I can log into WSJ.com and read the journal, but I prefer the actual paper, like, you know, open it up, put my he foot. He likes the smell. Yeah, I, that is true. Wow. Like, I like to take the rubber band off the newspaper and it's just got that crispy. <laughs> Uh, feeling amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm learning so much right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I can relate to where you're coming from, man. I just, I just jumped on IG this year. Um, however, there are some people that don't do IG and they do Facebook, right? Or Facebook and not IG, but uh, you do a really good job being on both platforms. So uh, he's a follow. He's worth a follow on either one of those platforms. Uh, Kita, you got any last minute words for uh, the winners here? Run the play. He gave you exactly what to do in a nutshell. If you want to learn more, you know, to connect with, but there's at least two plays that everyone should be able to run on this call just from what we talked about today. So thank you on behalf of everyone. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Bill, thanks again for having us, uh, having uh, us being able to interview you. Winners, go out there, like Kita said, go run the play. Make sure you guys give uh, Bill a follow. Go check him out. And winners, we will see you next week. Peace. <laughs>